Simon French, Chief Economist at Pamela Gordon, joins us on this episode of New Tricks and shares his tales of bees and bonfires. On matters of macroeconomics, might the stabilising energy markets prove the elusive quarter of reckoning doesn't darken our doors? Reasons to be cheerful continue with Liz Truss showing us the system does work, while strong underlying demand for leisure and hospitality motivates investors to keep investing. Welcome to another episode of New Tricks, the podcast from New Dog PR. Who consists of? Which consists of? Who consists of? Well, not really. that. Yeah, there may be deeper, deeper threads to un- unwind than that today, I fear. Uh, so that's me, Emily Newman, and she, Catherine Dogwell. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm very good, Emily. How are you? All right. We've survived a very traumatic uh, puppy-related illness, which, having then given all my money to the vets, is now resolved. It's the only way. <laughs> and super fancy food mm. uh yes that 20 minute pop seems to be you know just the ticket so having assumed by not just assumed having evaluated his current situation on thursday afternoon whilst we were enjoying some strikes um he i deemed him to be at death's door so phoned the vets who said yes bring him in immediately and on arrival at the vets nothing more than a second lease of life was, was oh, witnessed the vet very exciting place to be. Exactly. Yes. Um, how are you? Have you had a jolly weekend? I have had a jolly weekend. Um, uh, it's nothing to report of consequence. I think lots of filling in forms for the school gala, translating French into English. Um, and I learned a lot about how decalcification is not what you would think it is, but you can bid on it at the gala on the 24th in the Marriott Swiss Cottage. Oh, well, after the 24th, I will be gripped as to understand what calcification is if it's not what I think it is. Yes, it turns out it's removing plaque, but it translates badly as in, have you thought about removing all the calcium from your teeth? Uh, <laughs> which was then sold as an exciting new dental process. I thought that oh, would be exciting. It would be. <clears throat> so yes, fun weekend had by all. Fun weekend indeed. Our guest this week, who can regale us with his exciting weekend too, is fresh from Radio 4 Today programme, Simon well, French. Not the Today programme either. Have you had your teeth decalcified today? Uh, <laughs> Maybe Simon has. Simon French, Chief Economist at Pamela Gordon, joins us uh, for this episode of New Tricks. Simon, very welcome to you. Have you ever had your teeth decalcified? Uh, I haven't, and I'm now terrified of trying to follow those two stories of uh, dental work <laughs> and, and pet care with my own weekend story. I'm afraid the only thing I can counter with is to, I did a very, very smoky bonfire, which annoyed all my neighbours. So that, oh, was, that was the drama in the French household this weekend. No, that'll do. That'll do. Uh, what were you? What were you burning? Oh, uh, garden leaves, sticks. Uh, I don't think any hedgehogs. Um, I thought sort of, you're supposed to poke around, aren't you? And I did that, and there was no squeaking or rustling. So uh, safe to have a bar- uh, safe to have a, a barbecue. I'm thinking ahead. Uh, a bonfire. What a responsible bonfirer you are. Well done. Lovely sourced artisanal bonfiring. Exactly. Fun weekends have been had by all. Yes, but but importantly, only our two contributors to the economy. This is true. I'm not sure how you measure uh, crowbarring that in. Terms. Well, yes, absolutely. You're 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 doing your bit, whereas I'm I'm not. Shame on me. Is there a sustainable angle we can come with here? The fact that you were re- 
not quite repurposing, but you weren't taking it. Some you were you were disposing of your garden waste yourself rather than having to rely on the services of local council or whatever to do it. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. There is an ESG angle because uh, yeah, all the all the ash which will eventually yeah. uh, emerge will uh, will go on my fruit and veg. Uh, so I'll be slightly like uh, for your older listeners, the um, the good life. Uh, yes. with, my, with my old uh, plants and um, vegetables all, all, all hopefully profiting from my, my burning efforts, even if the neighbours, well, they didn't have any washing out in early March, but uh, uh, they weren't particularly amused with the smoke billowing across their, uh, their front lawn. Was this decision to grow fruit and vegetables a recent thing prompted by a tomato shortage, or are you hoping to capitalise on what could be very profitable harvest season? Well... So I try and grow them because I've got uh, three beehives in the back garden. I'm a beekeeper. And um, if you can have some forage all year round for them, uh, then they tend to be much happier and much more productive. So I try and do my bit by um, having stuff that they can go around and pollinate and collect nectar from. And um, our beekeeping. Uh, so, do you do you keep all your honey, or are you somebody? A friend of mine was trying to set up like the Expedia of honey by bringing together lots of independent bee producers and then acting as a distribution platform. Um, Ooh, so, do you, can keep you pass on the details. <laughs> of course, and they yes, they were attempting to create this kind of uh, UK and then global wide honey distribution network for independent honey producers. Wow. That yes. is uh, that has escalated quite quickly from my small artisan's small holding to to something much more. I mean, global domination of the honey market. That's 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 I don't see why not? I don't see why not. Uh, do you keep your wax and do things with it? Do I make candles as well uh, in my spare time? So it it is actually. I mean, I know we're going to come on to the the economics of the day job, but I find it quite cathartic. Cathart- well, <laughs> uh, I do find it quite cathartic at the end of a. It's a long day to go out and see these bees just happily going about. Well, they seem happy anyway, um, going about yeah. their their duty and their business. And it's um, it is it does allow me to switch off. And uh, any commercial gain by selling a few pots of honey is is, is, is small beer compared to that. What I want to know is how your mates doing with the Expedia for honey. Slowly, slow. The pandemic came along and that slowed down the Expedia for honey. Okay, fair enough. It's very good for um, allergies and um, hay fever, isn't it? Eating local honey. It's good for all things. Absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. I try and uh, tell my neighbours that, that uh, if they cope with the the, the horizontal smoke, that in the summer they will be rewarded with with a pot of honey on their doorstep, which will keep the hay fever away. I think that's a very good trade. Could tolerate the bonfire, the honey will be yours. Yes, exactly. Love Simon. (laughs) Long Exactly, jam today or tomorrow. Now, Simon, you did threaten that we may well talk about economics, and I fear the time is now. Onto it because I very recently read a whole book about someone, and the and the the lead character was a honey bee maker ish. So I've got a load of crap I could talk about this. So we should divert away from that before (laughs) running off at the mouth like a fool about things I barely know. Uh, I'm going to change my Twitter handle to Honeybee Makerish, uh, which I think is what you <laughs> described uh, an atheist as. Oh, yeah, we're all about, you know, messaging and PR. And an array of hats and T-shirts and weights. Yep, yep. 
any anything we can do to help. Um, Simon, you have after well, no, actually, probably before you went to Radio Four and talked on the Today Show, you wrote because you regularly do uh, an article in the Times, which and the premise was all about um, how. Actually, well, I don't know why I'm telling you what the premise was. You wrote the thing, <laughs> but what I am, what I got from it was that after what we should describe as a slightly tumultuous few months uh, in UK uh, economics, things appeared to be settling down and uh, almost to the point of dull or boring, which was arguably a very good thing. Is that a rough summary of your thoughts? That's a much more uh, concise and arguably better summary than the 1,000 words uh, I used to make the same point. But you're absolutely right. If there was a problem for UK businesses up and down the country, but also for investors looking at the UK worldwide in the back in the last year, it was that UK macroeconomics was anything but dull. It was um, a wild ride. Interest rates were uh, all over the place. Um, uh, energy prices were all over the place. The pound experienced high volatility. This is not the backdrop for good economic long-term decision-making. And so the point I was trying to make is that a return to, if you like, the economics and business being on the middle pages of the newspaper rather than the front pages is almost certainly a good thing for the, uh, for the country at large and certainly for the economic outlook. I think that constitutional lawyers have the same lookout uh, outlook, don't they? That it's you know it's very dull, and it'd be better if we didn't have to talk about it all the time. But um, do you think that there's a case for economics to be more? Because there, you know, the, the bank is supposed to be independent and all this kind of thing. Is there a, a room for like a, a more separate body that can give advice that maybe takes some of the power out of the hands of, say, maniacs like Liz Truss, or is that just the inevitability of um, of, of having a democracy? Well, so, I mean, just to pick up on a descriptor uh, of of Liz Truss, um, I felt, and I think this is an important point to make perhaps for for, for listeners, is the plans that she had along with her chancellor um, weren't uh, something that you would characterise as a maniac, weren't weren't mad in themselves. There's no kind of maniacal explanation. No, the, the, the... the idea of pursuing higher growth in the UK economy because some of the problems that has made the UK economy a slow growth economy need addressing was absolutely spot on. My criticism, if you like, of that period was you have to, whether you're in government or in business, you have to take people with you. You have to prepare the ground. You have to get the messaging right. You have to involve the various institutions uh, such as the Bank of England, the Treasury, the Office of Budget Responsibility, in the process. And therefore, to answer your question directly, do we need a further institution, independent institution from government to help with economic policy making? No, I don't think we do. But I think we need to recognise that the framework that we have is looked at by yeah. investors, both in the UK and worldwide, as, um, as, as independent, as credible, as transparent, if you start sidelining those institutions, expect the market to have a fairly unfriendly reaction to your proposals. Although, of course, those institutions are, as we know, um, <clears throat> very left-wing. So, 
Uh, I mean, I often hear that about the city. The city of always. London, the financial sector is, is, is always campaigning a left-wing agenda. I don't think that's quite right. I think the other element, if you like, undermined the message was, again, if you look at the narrative chosen by Liz Truss in her speech at the Conservative Party conference, she talked about the anti-growth coalition. And there is little doubt, I think anybody, um, one of the other things I uh, like to do is watch uh, Clarkson's Farm on um, oh, yes. on Amazon Prime um, and, and other streaming services are available, but uh, that's the one where you can see uh, Clarkson's Farm. Anybody who saw the latest series will see that the planning approval process in this country is fundamentally broken. It is a big impediment to growth and innovation. And so... Again, there's trust making the point that there is an anti-growth coalition was entirely valid. However, she mentioned members of the anti-growth coalition as this um, left-wing lobby group. Um, But actually, there's some people who traditionally see themselves as the the right of centre who also have both currently and in the past, you know, you think about things such as Brexit, such as NIMBYism, that she didn't call out as anti-growth, but they fundamentally are. And that undermines the message if you're being partial in when you identify the problem, which is the problem of slow growth in the UK. If you just pick your political enemies as the, uh, as the justification, you're not credible because any an analyst can look at it and go, actually, there's much more at play here, which is stopping the UK fulfilling its potential. We have been on the lookout, when I say we, I mean Catherine, for the quarter of reckoning for some time. Do you want to do the voice? Quarter of reckoning. Very good. Um, Now, I don't want to disappoint viewers and Catherine by suggesting that if everything is calm and stable, may there not be a quarter of reckoning. And we've had various guests and conversations, various podcast guests and conversations with folk recently that suggest that um, whilst there there actually is quite a lot of capital out there ready to deploy, let's use the terms. Um, so if that is the case, may we not see this quarter of reckoning slash apocalypse slash, you know, fire sale to bring it back to bonfires. Um, and in which case, what does what do, what are your views on that? Um, and is there how will that affect? I appreciate you are uh, an economist, not a hotel investor, but with the economist view, how will that affect transactions in the hotel sector? Yeah, so I think it's the right question to be asking. Certainly, uh, investors both in the leisure space but also the wider economy, we're asking the same question going into the new year and going into 2023. They were saying, okay, we can see that economic activity has held up pretty well so far. But there was quite a lot of expectations that the quarter of reckoning would be either the first quarter of the year, it'd be like a, a new year hangover, or indeed the second quarter of the year as, as energy prices uh, rocket higher. But I have to say, I sit in the... Um, the camp that thinks there won't be a quarter of reckoning. And the major reason for that is what has um, come to pass in energy markets, uh, not just in the UK, but around the world. We were in October, November, when a lot of these conversations of quarters of reckoning uh, uh, were being established. The, The wholesale gas price in the UK was about 350p a therm uh, across the next two years. 
today, as we record this, it's about a third of that level, about 120p a third. So the energy price has come right down and eventually that will pass through to businesses and the hotel trade and the leisure, hospitality trade and households across the country in terms of lower bills. And that is a very, very different backdrop to the backdrop we would have anticipated uh, if we'd been recording this um, six months ago. And so for me, and you mentioned, you very kindly mentioned my recent Times article, I said there is a good chance now that the UK avoids a recession altogether. A recession is commonly, it's, it's not got a perfect definition, but it's commonly referred to as two successive quarters of negative growth. And while I think the first quarter of the year uh, may well be negative, I think the second quarter looks considerably more upbeat um, as those energy costs um, are held flat for households and you start to see some of the new deals available for uh, for businesses, particularly in the hotel trade, uh, start to be considerably cheaper than they've had to cope with over the last 12 months. So for investors looking at a sector where underlying demand, I think, is really, really strong, but are worried about profit margins, uh, costs, supply, both on the energy route, and I think we're going on to talk about you know, labour supply shortages as well, I think it's a considerably more constructive backdrop more upbeat backdrop uh, than we had late last year. You raise a good point. Sorry, Catherine, did you want to go? No, no, not at all. I was just um, wondering, obviously, it's impossible to get a view out, but do you think that we're now, as well, we've got like a, everything is calmer on the on the cost side, do you think that we're heading into a more politically stable environment? Have people lost their ap- appetite for radical change? Or is there, well, it's is, an excellent question. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. For, the drive, the demand from the populace now is for just a gentle silence. There is a bit of, if you like, change fatigue uh, that I do sense. But 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 equally, I think I'm a, a better economist in terms of my forecasting than I am a political strategist. So I wouldn't necessarily, t- you know, if you'd ask me whether I foresaw Brexit, Trump, war in Ukraine, etc. It's very very difficult to foresee these political uh, events. So I, I wouldn't overstate my crystal ball gazing power on the political front. But I think somewhere where I'm on slightly safer ground is just relaying some of the conversations that institutional investors, uh, pension funds, hedge funds have been having with me in recent months. And the big worry politically was around a potential change in government with the Labour Party now averaging a lead in the opinion polls of more than 20% uh, or 20 percentage points. And... I have to say there, you, if one looks around at the, the people who the current Labour leadership is surrounding themselves with, um, both on the economic side but on the political side as well, these are more uh, sensible individuals than perhaps more recent vintages of Labour leadership have surrounded themselves with. And that de-risks for investors the outlook for the UK economy. If you're worried that you're going to get a particularly radical shift to the left uh, in the event of an incoming Labour government. I think a combination of Labour surrounding themselves with more sensible people, but also, actually, let's give Liz Truss some credit, um, by doing the experiment that she and Kwasi Kwarteng did in the back end of last year, that also, I think, reduces the likelihood of Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves trying something similar, albeit in a different direction of travel. I think they will be 
looking at the lesson from that period and going that uh, if you want to pursue radical economic policies, your uh, life expectancy as a political leader of this country can probably be measured in weeks, maybe uh, a couple of months rather than years. Yes, the lifespan of lettuce. It's true, when it comes down to it, the system does in some ways work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, that, that is the, uh, for all the teeth gnashing over, you know, politics in the UK over the last six, seven years, uh, there, those, those checks and balances do appear to still work in terms of when there isn't a political mandate or the, the prescription or the delivery doesn't make uh, make sense. There are forces at play to introduce those checks and balances. Now, some people are deeply uncomfortable with the role that financial markets had in that last year. But I do think um, we're all stakeholders in the economy. Mm. And if, if a pathway uh, is set out that investors, um, financial markets won't support, we have to recognise the UK runs a big budget deficit and a big trade deficit. So it relies on the, if you like, the, the former governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, called it the generosity of strangers. Um, if, we, if you construct an economy like that, you need to play by the rules. Mm. Exactly. I would just like to ask you a come back to that demand quest, uh, demand comment that you made when you were talking about the, the overall sort of uh, investment uh, environment. Um, you raise a valid point that the demand for leisure and hospitality remains very strong. We saw that as soon as restrictions lifted, everyone was uh, splurging their pent up leisure demand anywhere and everywhere. Um, but it was in the UK. By and large, because we couldn't go abroad. Um, now we're curious to understand whether that uh, trend will continue this year, but not because um, we can't get on a plane, but because we're all broke. So we're all down to Bognor, um, and that's your lot. What do you think? I don't think we are all broke. Uh, if I'm going to bring data rather than um, soundbite into the conversation. Um, yeah. Well, I know, I know, I know. But uh, otherwise, I'm just another person with an opinion, aren't I? And so those those excess savings that you spoke about, um, they haven't been spent, uh, as far as we can establish from the monthly data we get from the Bank of England. The problem, if you like, from a um, if you like an all economy standpoint, is they're very poorly distributed. They're mainly amongst richer households and older households, and particularly richer, older households. Um, and therefore, there are some very, very real economic pains that are being felt by uh, low and middle income households. And therefore, those their choices regarding um, summer holiday, um, broader hospitality demand um, are impaired by the fact that their cost of the, the weekly food shop, the energy bill um, have got a you know, in the case of foods, 17% over the last year, and um, energy costs up, you know, 40-50% in, in many cases. Those are very difficult to absorb and still keep the same amount of what's known as discretionary spending. Um, but when you track back to previous economic downturns, 1990-2008, the two examples that I look at in research I've done, actually the certainly the um, the centrepiece uh, holiday break, uh, which tends to be the summer holiday for a lot of UK households, 
And that tends to be one of those areas of spending that is protected almost at all costs, not quite at all costs, but all it's pretty resilient. There are other things which households cut back on at first before they start going for what seems to be quite sacred. So I, you know, we have, <clears throat> excuse me, research key picks for companies listed in the UK who we uh, like the look of, and our top performing pick for here is Jet2, who's of course a package holiday, uh, principally package holidays overseas uh, operator, uh, bulletproof demand uh, and good visit forward visibility. So no real signs of a softening there. Uh, and that stock has performed very, very well. I think about, as we speak, about, about 30% year to date. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about this particular kind of global economic tension um, is that uh, in the development aspirations of the hotel sector, normally we would see everyone reversing and trying to buy economy brands and launching economy brands, getting into the economy sector. Whereas with the exception of, of a brief twitch from Hilton, um, everyone has piled into, into luxury because the, you know, the rich are getting richer and let's have a look at them. That seems a lot more rather than focusing on people downgrading, they're now focusing on people upgrading, uh, which is, I think, unique to the to this particular phase for this particular sector, which would be very interesting. I mean, you make a very good point, which is that this is this was a very um, regressive recession during the pandemic. Um, there were those people in higher income jobs uh, who could uh, work from home, uh, could continue to rein employment, save a lot of uh, both their costs, but also uh, you know, add to their savings stock. And it has also been the case during the recovery that those households have also been able to, if you like, lock in, in many cases, those, those savings, commuting to office-based locations amongst white-collar workers is still down about 25% from pre-pandemic levels. And so it's still quite uneven in terms of the recovery and the, the costs that are uh, being faced. Also, the, there's a lot of evidence in the economic space of your ability to respond to increases in food costs of the, the like we've seen, as I said earlier in the podcast, 17% is the current data point for cost of UK food. And if you're shopping at, let's say, a, a Waitrose, uh, you have options to move down the quality scale and continue to consume basically very, very similar products. Um, if you are already towards the bottom of the scale, uh, at different outlets, um, where you're on the, the basics range, for example, the ability to, if you like, self-help and reduce your uh, or keep your spending the same uh, is very, very difficult to do. And, and that speaks to your point about this regressive nature of this economic period. Oh, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, before we ask you, we're sort of coming to the end of this discussion, uh, unless we want to go back to the beekeeping. Catherine, I don't know. I think it's best to stay away from my lack of knowledge on beekeeping. Very good. Okay. So to round off the um, conversation, we're going to ask you about your most memorable hotel experience. But before that... Um, um, I believe you can correct me because you'll know better that there are about half a million people of working age who aren't currently working, um, and that is due reasons that is due to reasons of ex, uh, extended education or um, being off work due to ill health or simply choosing not to work. Um, so whatever those reasons are, um, that is a staggering figure. Um, do you foresee that? 
maintaining, reducing? And what does it mean for sectors like hospitality that are very labour intensive? Yeah, I'm pleased you asked the question because I think it's absolutely key to understanding the UK economy, but also in the sector, <clears throat> uh, the hotel sector, very dependent on um, on labour, which is hard to substitute for for, for capital. You can't you can't uh, uh, automate a lot of the the tasks uh, on site. And um, what happens to the labour supply is absolutely key. So the data. There are about 9 million people of working age who are currently classified as economically inactive, um, of which about 2.5 million of those are the long-term sick, and that is up about 400,000 from pre-pandemic levels. So long COVID, which is not just the condition itself, but also the impact of um, pre-existing conditions not being treated, has has really impacted um, the UK labour supply. Uh, as we learn more about living with long COVID, but also some of the treatments of those pre-existing conditions start to pick back up and we start to see the waiting lists hopefully come down. I, I'm constructive that we're going to start to see that number come down. You mentioned students. Absolutely right. Students um, spend longer in education because um, they were unsure of their economic prospects. You start to see those numbers of students who are economically inactive also coming down. Um, there are also those who are older workers who have chosen for lifestyle reasons to, to leave the labour market. I think here also uh, I'm pretty constructive that those older workers will start to come back, perhaps not because they necessarily want to, they haven't necessarily reappraised those lifestyle options, but more that the cost of living squeeze will mean that their ability to live off a a fixed income in retirement, be it a private pension or a um, state pension, or indeed you know, draw down on their major financial asset, which in many cases is house prices, may start to become less less tolerable, and therefore they start to come back to work. And you are again also seeing signs of that. So the overall backdrop to what is undoubtedly key for uh, capacity for labour supply, for margins, for the hotel industry, I think will gradually improve. It hasn't improved as quickly as I'd hoped. This story is uh, slow to, to reverse, but I think we are seeing enough straws in the wind to be more encouraged. Marvellous. Encouraging. I'll take encouraging on a Monday morning. Encouraging indeed. Um, to round off this discussion, could you share, please, given that we are all about hotels, could you share your most memorable hotel experience with the assembled of course of course so um it was in new zealand uh, and there was an eco lodge um in new zealand uh, which was just utterly sort of superb but this was about a year before the pandemic hit and didn't know at the time of course that it would have been sort of privileged to be able to travel to, to new zealand which was then going to be taken away for at least two and a half years for most international tourists, but this hotel in particular was just really understood what uh, made for a special experience. Yes, it was it was great, beautifully located down, down by the coast, uh, New Zealand, South Island, but um, they understood the, the little things. Uh, you know, I, I like you know, the, the idea that you, know, you feel special, even if you're not special, you're just another person through the door. Everyone's special. Are. Well, yes, but the, but the hotel trade that really recognises the, the the little things that feel like you know 
you are unique to them. Um, you know, a little handwritten note when you arrive, um, you know, little, little hand baked, um, I think they were sort of chocolate brownies, which I've got a very, very sweet tooth, and they were fantastic. Just little things like that, which just made it a really special experience, actually. Um, and I think you know, my, my own reflections, and I, I am no hotelier, that is for sure, but my own experience is when you do things like, like that, that, that probably you, know, you could get away with not doing, you, you generate a real emotional attachment, which, you know, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go back to New Zealand anytime soon, not with a young family anyway. Um, I'm going to take on that flight. But, but you know, my, just my, my, my emotional attachment to that, uh, that experience was very, very high. Sounds delightful. I also think it makes the point that um, if there is the time and inclination to consider those little things, then there is a fairly strong fairly strong rule that, that all the bigger things are taken care of which means that the whole thing is utterly delightful yeah certainly that would be my my reflection it just signals to you doesn't it that uh, you don't need to worry about the other stuff because if they're, they're sweating the small stuff the big stuff's bound to be taken care of whether that's right or not it's just my my reflection Absolutely. Well, on that note, I think it's time for us to go and find some honey from somewhere or a chocolate brownie. Or I'm delighted as well. So way back when we started this podcast, we had to ask, we didn't have to, we did it because it was joyful. We asked everyone what their favourite cake or biscuit was. And you have managed to get yours in without being directed, directly asked. So that's just my <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Spuddy, for your for his final, final few moments. Uh, uh, contribution always always just, uh, yeah there we go very concerned about the uh the current uh, crisis in uh, in uh, in teams in the hotel sector yes yes his his face it expresses that all day long <laughs> Um, Simon, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for adding some data to our ramblings. It's always much appreciated. Thank you for for being an actual economist who's now said quarter of reckoning, which makes it a legitimate term now, which I'm very pleased about. You could TM that, Catherine, now. It's all about validation of the soundbite, isn't it? I'm happy to apply. It's just as someone who, who is just phenomenally shallow, this is a very deep moment in my life. Happy to be. Well, there we go. You see, I think everyone's leaving this this episode happy. Um, so thank you both very much. And thank you to everybody that listens and continues to support it. And real life actual people do. And we are enormously grateful um, and appreciate your listening ears. Do join us again next time for another episode of New Tricks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.